our new grandbaby is going through uh, learning how to speak. I'd forgotten this. Uh, Speaking is a learned behavior. It's not innate. She'll sit on your lap now and she'll just stare at your mouth. Done this for weeks. In fact, her older brother said, Mom, I don't think she likes us. She'd just stare. But now she's gone to the stage of babbling, trying to find those first sounds. Pretty soon she'll experiment, then she'll mimic. And all of this reminds me that speaking is not innate. It's learned behavior. She'll reach out and touch your mouth. Look at your lips, your teeth. Once in a while, your tongue to see how you made that noise. (laughs) And with her mother, it's a lot of noise. (laughs) And then she will mimic that and say those things. And as I watch this, I think to myself, when did I stop learning how to speak? I can talk. But when did I stop learning how to speak? According to the ancients, the ability to speak was a gift from God. It was not innate. They believed God's controlled everything, so they controlled this. When God called Moses and he refused to go, God said to Moses, Who gave man his mouth? Was it not I? Now go, and I will help you to speak. I will teach you what to say. Two things about that struck me here at the very early part of the Bible. One is that God will actually put his language into the mouth of an individual. This is extraordinary because God's judgments are unsearchable and his ways past finding out. In fact, you can't even pronounce his name. His name is four unutterable consonants. You can't even enunciate it, and yet he is willing to put his words in your mouth. That's an extraordinary thing to say. The second thing that strikes me is that while this is a supernatural act, it is also a learned behavior. He did not say, I will tell you what to say. He said, I will teach you what to say. So the people who know how to speak for God went after it. They didn't lay back passively waiting for God to just channel himself through their mouth. They went through the discipline and the rigor of learning how to speak with God and for God. Like learning a new language, there would be times where it was awkward and slow. But the more they worked at it, they would be able to literally speak with God helping them and to speak the very words of God. Thus, at the very beginning, Israel got used to the fact 
that no matter how dark and desperate the times would be, there would always be one person, at least one, who knew how to speak words of God. And and people would find them because people then as now are hungry for that. Everybody's talking, but there are a few who know how to speak for God. In the days of Samuel, the word of the Lord was rare, but God found a boy sleeping in front of an altar, and it said the Lord revealed himself to that boy through his word. A few years later, David would say, the spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are on my tongue. Ezekiel was told to eat the scroll in front of him, and then he must declare to all of Israel the very words that God himself told him to say. So by the end of the Old Testament, you get this idea that no matter how many false prophets there may be, there is always one, maybe a few, whose words contain the word. Of God. And you're pretty sure you're not one of them. <laughs> Until you get to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, like Moses, balks. He says, I'm just a kid. I, I don't know how to speak. Well, he does know how to talk because he's talking. But God says, don't say I'm just a boy. I will Put my words into your mouth. Listen to him in chapter 5. My words shall be in your mouth a fire, and these people, the wood, it consumes. I mean, the image there is vivid, it's graphic. When you speak, it will have the force of fire. So don't say you don't know how to speak. Because I will fill you with the words and then you will speak. When you get into the New Testament, it changes. It goes from one person to 12. Jesus has his 12 disciples around him in Matthew chapter 10. And he says to them, when they bring you in front of the courts and the tribunals and they go to prosecute you, Don't worry what you will say. Words will be given you, he says. It will not be you speaking. It will be the spirit of my father speaking through you. Now there is not one, there's 12. And these are ordinary people, fishermen, carpenters, tax collectors, None of them thought they knew how to do this. But all of them became channels for God's spirit to speak. When you get to the book of Acts, that number goes up 10 times. There's 120 people holed up in a room when the Holy Spirit comes upon them And they begin to speak in different languages. It's interesting, isn't it, that when someone is possessed by the Holy Spirit in Acts, the first evidence is not miracles, it's speaking. 
So they speak in front of the city. There's 500,000 people there. People are amazed because these ordinary people are even speaking in foreign languages that they've never learned. And they're unschooled and ordinary men. And yet, their words are like lasers. They penetrate the hearts of their listeners. And Peter gets up and he says to the crowd that's starting to mock them, he says, look, these people are not drunk. They're not filled with wine. Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in the latter days. I will pour my spirit upon all people, your sons and your daughters, your men and your women, your clergy and your lady, your slaves and your freedmen, your Jews and your Gentiles, people from every nationality and every strata in society will have the Spirit of God on them, and when they do, they will speak. The Word of God will not just rise in the pulpit. It will rise in the classrooms. It won't just be among clergy and professionally trained orators. It will rise from the common person It won't just be in the seminaries. It will be in the public schools and in offices and at the loading dock at the nurse's station. People, when they are anointed by the Holy Spirit, will take on extraordinary abilities to speak with God and for God. But again, while this is supernatural, it is a learned behavior. The day that we live in is, as I said, a time when people are craving a word from God, and so everybody is speaking. At the same time, the power and the authority that is in someone's voice is not authority that was given to them by God. It's an authority that is assigned to them by the audience that they're speaking to. No, in America, the audience determines whether something is relevant or not. It is always the audience that determines whether someone is interesting or not. It is always the audience that determines whether this is Practical and whether it is worth saying, we have located the authority for all speech in our country in the audience. There are still men and women, clergy and laity, Jews and Gentiles, and people from every strata who have authority from God rooted in them. It is not rooted in the audience. Can you imagine the freedom you would feel when you were talking at work, a friend across dinner, in front of a classroom, in the office when you called a meeting? 
Can you imagine how much freedom and liberty you would feel if you knew that the energy for that and the authority for it came from God? It does not come from you, and it sure does not come from them. In the days of Job, there was a man named Elihu. You know the story of Job. You know the story of Job's three friends. You may have missed the story of Elihu. It's an important story because it teaches us what not to do when speaking. Job is a man lived thousands of years ago. He has 11,000 livestock, and livestock in those days was equivalent to wealth. Thousands of acres, seven sons, three daughters, hundreds of servants. He is a wealthy man, the most wealthy man in the Middle East. And then in 63 seconds, the amount of time it takes for a handful of messengers to come in and give him the bad news, Job watches everything he's worked for Everything he owns, including his sons and daughters, are taken from him in one tragedy after another. Job is devastated. He withdraws, he sits in ashes, and he starts to mourn for days. Three of his friends find out about this, and they go comfort him. Well, they try. Three friends who according to the scripture have never talked to God, but they're good at talking about him. So they start pontificating in front of Job about the mysteries of God and the hardness of life. And they sort of take Job to task for claiming that he was an innocent person, even though the scripture says he was an innocent and blameless person. They sort of chide him for this. And by the time you get to Job chapter 32, all of their firepower is spent. And that's when a young man shows up, and his name is Elihu. Elihu sits in the circle of three counselors and listens for a while. And then in chapter 32, he starts to speak. And this is what he says to the old men. He says, I've been sitting here listening to you talk, thinking that maybe experience was the founder of wisdom. Now I discover I'm wrong. It doesn't matter how old you are. Wisdom does not come from age. It comes from the breath or spirit of the almighty God. There. He's right about this. Wisdom is not just simply living a long time. It's having the spirit of God in you. Then Elihu says, I have the breath of the Almighty, the spirit of God in me. Now, do I have to stop waiting for you to talk before I start speaking? No, I don't. These are his words. The more I listen to you, the angrier I get. I'm angry at Job for defending himself. I'm angry at you because you can't convict him. And the more you drone on and on, the angrier I get. Are you starting to get the picture? 
the boy is angry. Then he says, my mouth is full of words and the spirit is upon me. I'm about to speak. Then he turns to Job and he says, now listen to me. I'm about to explain this to you. I'm about to open my mouth and speak. (laughs) And I sit this week and I read that and I laughed for three days. Three old guys are going on and on about the mysteries of life. And in comes a millennial. And he's about to open his mouth. Let all the earth be silent. Then Elihu proceeds to say the same tired things that the three old men have said, only he says it better. The message is not new. Job is still guilty of something and God is still mysterious. And the young man still hasn't talked to God. He's talking about him. It reminds me sometimes we mistake a rush of emotion, a sudden experience, an urge to say something, and I just got to get this out there. We mistake that as the Spirit of God. We confuse our frustration and our passion for a word from God. We believe that because we are possessed by the Spirit, and we are, that the words we say are spirit speech, but quite often they are not. I wonder if we do not give our words self-importance. Let all the rest be silent. I am about to open my mouth and make everything clear. I wonder if we do not speak in the name of truth and leave casualties behind. Sorry, Job, that you feel so rotten about your life. I was just speaking truth. Is it possible that with our words, when we are most sure we are right, we can injure, hurt people, who are, yes, they are, blameless and upright. They fear God and they shun evil. But because we must speak, do we wound them? How much collateral damage? Are you there? It's quiet. 
the opposite of Elihu is St. Paul. St. Paul is arguably one of the ten brightest men in the history of the world, any subject. Yet he comes into the city of Corinth who thrives on rhetoric. The orators used to come from hundreds of miles on foot so they could stand in Corinth and deliver their speeches to an audience that appreciated rhetoric, a hook, a slogan, a phrase well said. Corinth mastered slogans. They knew how to put tweetable things on the back of their helmets and in their end zones. Make America great again. Mm, there's one. Black Lives Matter. My body, my choice. Free and fair elections. Corinthians were famous for distilling complex, nuanced issues in four or five words and posting them on billboards. They could state their case in 44 characters or less. Never even heard of Twitter. And in comes a person named St. Paul who deliberately hides his intelligence. Paul said, while I was among you, I chose to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Let the record say he did not say he knew nothing. He said, I chose to know nothing except one thing, Christ and him crucified. The power of Paul's argument was not in his clever phrases or interesting illustrations. It was in the fact that he built everything he said on the mysteries of Jesus Christ. And people, when we speak about the mysteries of Jesus Christ, then we get the Holy Spirit to help us. If we keep pontificating about our convictions on every other subject, I think we are mostly on our own. But if we could get back to just talking about Jesus, I know some of you are like, yeah, well, I don't want to take every conversation into a conversation about Jesus. Trust me, you are not in danger of that. You're not even close to that. Even in a religious university, you're not close to that. Feel free to talk about Jesus anytime, please. Because when you do, you get the wind of the Spirit behind you, and he can do extraordinary things. Paul says, I did not come as one who was impressive. In fact, I was truly forgettable. But my message had transforming power. I didn't persuade you like a skilled orator trained in rhetoric. I spoke plainly and said things straightforward. And when the Spirit pushed them, 
you just received them. I just put it out there. And you took it. You had full agency. I never captivated you with my eloquence. You always had agency. I just said it. And with God's help, you accepted it. Am I not describing a fundamentally different tone of conversation than the one we have all endured, yea, have participated in ourselves? Am I not now describing social media? Am I not describing the Christian university? Am I not describing churches all through America? Or a conversation with you and one other over lunch? Where the measure of a person is always their accomplishments. Their achievements, their ability to say deep and thoughtful things and spin it in a way that makes the listener go, wow, mm, how, we, how we crave this. What if we just stuck to our testimony? What if we just told people about what God is doing in our life right now? Here's the question. Why do you choose to remain a follower of Christ? Answer that question and there's your testimony. Why do you choose after all these years to still follow Jesus Christ? Answer the question. And that's your testimony. And what if we stayed with that? And we let conversations go where they are going. But when the opportunity was there, we said it. Well, some of you, this will be uh, hard. But for others, this will be hard. You see, some of you... Um, you don't know what to say. And others, like me, you have plenty to say, even when you don't know what to say. So some of you aren't sure that this is the word of God, and you might play with it a while by writing it in a journal or having conversations, frank ones, with people who know you well. But others who think while you're talking and not before, you'll just start filling the room with words and think somewhere in a million there's a couple that are right. It might, it might help you if you had a small circle of people and just said to them, give me a 95% discount on everything I'm going to say. And then, in the process of conversation, you 
found your voice. And when you have it, trust me, when you have it, you know you have it. You know it's there. Then all you need is the nerve to say it. And you will. In the meantime, you will be caught up in conversations. You'll be thinking out loud. You'll be caught up in the emotion. You'll hear the voices of Job's friends rambling around you. And you'll try to say the same thing in different, more clever terms. Can I give you a couple of questions that will act as a screen before you speak? One is this word that you're about to say, Elihu, this word. <laughs> where does it come from? And two, where is it going? By where does it come from, I mean, what is the condition of your heart? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The problem has not been our speech, it's been our hearts. Our hearts have been angry, and they've been proud, and they've been divided, and our hearts have been stubborn. So what is the condition of your heart? James says there's a wisdom from above and a wisdom from below, and the wisdom from below is rooted in selfishness and in envy. But the wisdom from above is rooted in purity and in submission, in consideration, in peace, and in righteousness. So this word that you just got to say where does it come from? Does it come from below or does it come from above? And where is it going? What effect will it have on your audience? What effect do you want it to have on your audience? Do you mean to injure someone or to heal them? Are you hoping to impress them or do you want to elevate them? Is it primarily about you getting this off your chest? Or is it about adding something constructive to the conversation? Jeremiah heard, your words will either tear down and destroy or they will plant and build. So what are you building in the person that's listening to you? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Gentleness, kindness, goodness, loyalty, humility, and yeah, self-control.